All right, and all those stats we neglected to hear from America's foremost political comic, Mr. Will Durst. So let's uh, make up for that deficiency. Hey, guys. Will Durst here with a few words on the first presidential debate for which a surprisingly large segment of America tuned in. But for some unknown reason, President Obama was not among them. Who was in charge of his debate prep? Clint Eastwood? At least an empty chair might have provided sturdier resistance. Obviously, the White House staff is busy trying to convince us the Commander-in-Chief's subpar debate performance can be traced back to the Bush administration. But outside of the fact that Mitt Romney wants to kill Big Bird, not much was learned. And no word on how he feels about the Cookie Monster. The general consensus is Romney didn't just win, he crushed. Down goes Frazier. And he did it by contradicting most of his previous positions. The former governor of Massachusetts used the debate to claim to oppose tax cuts for the rich, favor portions of Obamacare, and to demonstrate his concern about the bailout of big banks. And puppies. He likes puppies. Hell, that guy got it done pretty well in the Democratic primaries. Maybe it was Obama sleepwalking, but it seemed like the debate went on forever, or at least way past Jim Lehrer's bedtime, who morphed from deferential to invisible, made the NFL replacement refs look effective. Perhaps the president was distracted by his 20th wedding anniversary because he rambled on, apparently thinking the winner would be determined by time of possession. And what was so interesting about the podium that compelled him to keep looking down? Was he taking one last longing look at his iPad with the pretty presidential seal, or was he focused on a particularly frustrating sequence of angry birds? Now there's plenty of time for both sides to retool messages for their next confrontation and expect Obama's people to encourage him to pen Romney down on some facts and for Romney to practice a different listening face that doesn't look like a cross between patience, smugness, and just a touch of sling blade. For Radio Parallax, I'm Will Dix. He is America's foremost political comic. Although I must say, Jay Leno got in a pretty good line uh, last month when he said the signature question in this presidential campaign is, are you better off than you were four years ago? As a comedian, I'd have to say no. I miss Bush and Cheney. They were the golden age. I wish they were here. I am not better off. Ah, yes, but Jay, the rest of us are. We do have to note that while Bill, Bill Clinton was coming here to Davis to talk about uh, how we need to re-elect President Obama and how we need to uh, elect some people on the Democratic ticket. And showing a great deal of popularity in doing so. I mean, you know, if Al Gore had used Bill Clinton, he'd have been elected in 2000. But lest I digress, uh, I do want to just point out that uh, the missing guy on the Republican side is George W. Bush. That guy has just been hidden under a rock. Now, I have to say, the, the economic debacle that hit this country back in, uh, in 08 is a bipartisan affair. But it is interesting to note that uh, the Bush-Cheney administration, which was in charge when things went south, I, I still have a picture on my refrigerator of Bush, Obama, and John McCain all trying to look busy as the, as the rafters are falling in. Well, everyone, everyone seems to have forgotten who was in charge when the you-know-what hit the fan. Obama was truly handed a mess. Now, has he handled it well for four years? I wouldn't say so. 
Is it a good idea to let Goldman Sachs continue to run the economy? I don't think so. But uh, if we go back to how it is that uh, Mitt Romney made his money, well, again, he is Gordon Gecko. Let's get off politics and, and talk movies. We were intrigued by the movie The Master, and we're hoping to bring Gary Chu on to talk about it last week. He was unable to do so, but fortunately is able to do so on today's show. So we say welcome back to Radio Parallax, Gary Chu. Hello. How are you? I'm glad to be back. <laughs> well, we're glad to have you. Now, we talked about uh, we talked a little bit about The Master, and, and I thought uh, an incredible performance by uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman channeling the ghost of L. Ron Hubbard. And I just wanted to get your take on, on that uh, very interesting movie. Well, I, it's, it's a controversial movie, but uh, I don't think it's kicking up a lot of dust. Uh, it's been playing, what, for about three weeks or so? I yeah. Guess, something like that. And at least I don't see an, any dust coming up from it. Uh, it's, it's pretty subtle. Uh, uh, it, I mean, it, all, it alludes to Scientology and L. Ron Hubbard and parallels him, but, you know, I'm not an expert on that. No very little about Scientology, but uh, I thought it was a good movie, and there are art reviews out that just really chop it in little bitty pieces. Well, I like, they liked it at Venice, I guess, though. They were pretty... Yeah, they, yeah, I think the movie will get some awards. I'm not, I don't know if it'll get... I don't think it'll get Best Picture, but uh, Hoffman and both, and also Phoenix, I think uh, really did a good job, although some people felt like uh, Phoenix was just uh, playing himself or something. You know? <laughs> I hope not for his sake. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> wow. You know, I didn't enjoy it. I mean, it's a movie not to be enjoyed. If people who saw There Will Be Blood will remember, uh, that's another Paul Thomas Anderson movie, and the way it's mounted and given out on the screen and the script is written is kind of like the master in that way because it's you know, it's. Kind of, I mean, you and I have chatted about this not prior to this, and it is kind of vague and and impressionistic at times. And sometimes, you know, it, it just kind of goes along. It's kind of slow, uh, like There Will Be Blood was. Uh, I thought rather slow, but it was a movie that I'm, I'm glad I saw. And both of those two movies have very strong connections in terms of uh, strong authoritarian male figures in them, in terms of uh, the oil man in the, the Daniel Day Lewis film. And, of course, the L. Ron Hubbard movie, which is not his name in the movie The, the, the Master. Well, I, I, I certainly would agree with you. It, it's, a, it's a worthy look. Uh, I, I don't know that I'd encourage everyone to rush out and see it while it's in theaters. It's certainly going to come out on, on DVDs uh, before Oscar time, but it, it's, it's worth a look. Yeah, I'd say so. I think that just if you just want to go and revel in the ability of Seymour Hoffman, Philip Seymour Hoffman, that's worth the price of admission, I think, because he's another person in this. And you've got to remember watching him, he has played Truman Capote. And what other kinds of characters has he played, you know, through the years? A guy can just do anything, and you forget that well, that figure on the screen is this guy, Philip Seymour Hoffman, whom you recognize. But he's somebody else when he plays each character, and I think that's the essence of really good to great acting, I believe. Well, I, I agree with you 100%. Let's talk about some other movies. I know that you uh, get to see a lot of these previews, and, and you were quite uh, impressed by this new movie, Argo? Yes, it, it, it will open tomorrow. Uh, yeah, Argo was a very surprising movie to me. It didn't get a lot of uh, upfront publicity. I think it's getting a little bit more now. I noticed the CBS Morning News had a piece on it, which I caught online. David Martin did it. 
uh, about uh, this character, Tony Mendez. He wrote this uh, article called uh, The Master of Disguise, which talks about people who are actually exfiltrated out of Tehran in, uh, in 1979, right after the uh, Shah is deposed and the... Uh, yeah, the Ayatollah Khomeini. Yeah, that, 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 yeah. that guy. Yeah, that, yeah. That he's guy. a guy worth that forgetting. That guy took over, and these people were, you know, they slipped out ahead, and they, and they hid out in a Canadian ambassador's home in Tehran, and then Hollywood and the CIA get together and uh, come up with this idea to uh, make the Iranians think they're wanting, the Canadians are wanting to come in and shoot a a sci-fi movie that's got some locations that are just perfect <laughs> that they found in Iran. Well, this now the thing about it is this really happened. That's the thing. Right. The the cover story at the time, Gary, as I recall, was the Canadians uh, that they that the Canadians got took a lot of flack for sneaking them out, but it really, I guess, was a CIA operation. Yeah, it was, and in fact, the other thing about it is that uh, it wasn't declassified until the early '90s by Clinton, huh. and it was devised under the Carter administration. And as you remember, the hostages, uh, uh, the 444, came back to the United States as Ronald Reagan was taking his oath of office for the first time, January 20th, 1981. A topic for another day, but a rather suspicious timing, I thought. Uh... <laughs> I, I didn't want to say that, but I thought I'd put it in. <laughs> well, there are those who think there wasn't there. They, they, they cut a deal, the famous October surprise with the Iranians. Uh, mm -hmm. They think that even George Bush the first had a hand in it, and I, mm -hmm. I suspect he did. But that's that's not mm -hmm. that's got nothing to do with this movie. It's it's sort that's of right, it Ben Affleck at its best, I guess, as best. Yeah, it's it's and the, the the great part about this movie is it's a serious film, and you're pull and it's a patriotic film, and you're pulling for these people to get out of Tehran alive, and. The Hollywood people that are involved with this to make the the phony up front stuff with stuff in L.A. so they can call and check on them and everything, yeah, are played by Alan Arkin and John Goodman, and these guys are a laugh riot. Well, they're they're blue chip credentials as comedians, both of them. Oh, I know. I I, I tell you, I sit there and kind of tense up watching some of the stuff, thinking, oh, these people going to you know, are they going to get out? And they they were so uptight because they're. They were in this Canadian guy's uh, house for such a long time. And then, you know, you these guys in Hollywood are doing these funny things just because of their own <laughs> characters, and it shifts gears, and it does it marvelously. And Ben Affleck is the lead in it. He plays Tony Mendez, and he also was a producer along with George Clooney with the film. Well, Gary, I saw the trailer for it, and I don't, I, I can't do it quite justice. There's a scene where guy comes to Goodman, and maybe it's Ben Affleck, and says, you know, I've, I've got to pretend that I'm a big shot here, but I don't want to do anything. And he looks at him sort of like, well, you're in Hollywood. Well, you're, you're going to fit right in. That's exactly right. <laughs> That's just one little little diamond in the rough there. <laughs> I mean, they, they get better, and also it's a rated R movie, so you can. there's a lot more going on in the in the rough language department, too, which is, and also the whole concept of what the word Argo means, yeah. and uh, which we both know from schoolyard jokes. There's a knock-knock joke? Yeah, there's yeah. a knock-knock yeah. joke. Yeah. Okay. And David, David Martin on CBS television even ex describes it and then leads right up to the punchline and leaves the final word out, you know. <laughs> I, I didn't wrote a review on it, but I didn't put that in there. I, just, I thought it would be a nice way for people to remember the movie. But it's a good movie, you know, and I think it may have a little 
contentious quality to it with uh, some other films this fall. Well, doggone it, I may have to go see it. And, and Gary, yeah. we'll have to keep me, you have to keep us posted here in the next month or two about some other developments because I know you're I know you're seeing these these uh, these premieres now on a regular basis. Yeah, I am. I am. Yeah, and, and I will. I'll be I'll be happy to. And uh, it was really neat to talk with you. All right, Gary. As always, a pleasure. Well, I bet you I'm gonna be a big star. Might win an Oscar. The movie's gonna make me a big star Cause I can play the part so well Alright, Mr. Gary Chu has long been a fixture on Capital Public Radio and can currently be heard on KVMR up in Grass Valley, a station which has never aired Radio Parallax, but should, don't you think? At any rate, speaking of public broadcasting, we have to be uh, amused at the fact that uh, <laughs> that apparently Sesame Street has come forward to say they don't want Big Bird to be used by either political campaign. This comes in the wake of Mitt Romney saying in the first debate that he likes Big Bird, but does want to cut federal funding of uh, public broadcasting. Doesn't want to borrow money from China, he says, to pay for public broadcasting. Of course, he has no qualms about increasing military spending, even though some have pointed out that we do currently outspend our next closest military rival, China, three to one. And then if you add in China and the UK and France and Italy and Germany and Japan and Australia and Canada and, well, the next 17, we outspend them all. Some would say that's conservative. We outspend the rest of the world. That he doesn't mind borrowing money from China to spend on. Of course, and one matter does stick in my craw just a little bit. Back when all the rest of us were up for a military draft back in the early 70s, well, the Mormon kids weren't, which is kind of a nice segue to the Doonesbury cartoon earlier this week. It starts out in panel one saying, July 1968, a wary Parisian answers his door. Guy says, we? Bonjour, monsieur. Panel two, it's Elder Mitt Romney, says the young Mitt Romney. We're here to persuade you to abandon your faith traditions for ours. We feel so strongly that our religious beliefs are superior to your own that we've foregone service in Vietnam to tell you about them, says the Frenchman. Go away, I'm relaxing with my mistress, says young Mitt with a tract in his hand. When should we come back? Ten minutes? Yeah, why was it that Mormon kids got to consider their... uh, two years abroad, try and convert uh, Catholics to becoming good Mormons to be an adequate substitution for military service. The rest of us didn't have that option. And by the way, another bonus stat of the day. This current election marks the first time in U.S. history that neither candidate running on the two major parties has military experience. Anyway, we want to refer you briefly to the Vanity Fair, the current issue... Um, they have a questionnaire at the end of every uh, edition of the magazine, and the current one is of Terry Gross, host of NPR's Fresh Air for the past quarter century. These Q&As can be amusing, and I thought this one was. The magazine asked, which historical figure do you most identify with? Terry responded, it's hard to choose from among the many short Jewish women celebrated in the history books. Asked, what's the trait you deplore in others? She said, the inability to stop talking about themselves when they're not being interviewed. 
asked what she considered the most overrated virtue. She said, entrepreneurialism. And when queried, which living person do you most despise, she diplomatically answered, my personal sense of discretion and my commitment to journalistic impartiality prevent me from answering this honestly. Which somehow reminds us of the Arnold Schwarzenegger book currently being touted by The Governator. B. Senior Editor Dan Moraine's headline on his viewpoint section titled, Schwarzenegger Puts Delusions into Book Form. Well, that's just a grabber. As was the opening sentence. Arnold Schwarzenegger is not totally delusional, and his autobiography is not a work of total fiction, but the former governor is making a total fool of himself as he tries to reshape his sullied image. Citing the exchange that took place on 60 Minutes, wherein Leslie Stahl asked uh, Schwarzenegger about the reaction of his wife to learning that he had uh, fathered a son with the housekeeper, Schwarzenegger said she was very disappointed. Said Dan Moraine, disappointed is the reaction when you're late for a dinner date. My guess is that Shriver was beyond disappointment upon learning that the father of her children had fathered the hired helps child. Moraine notes that while Schwarzenegger did did sign Assembly Bill 32, a significant measure intended to reduce greenhouse gases, which the current administration is implementing, Schwarzenegger himself shows off his latest ride, the Unimog, a diesel-powered monster vehicle that gets 14 miles per gallon at most. Well, I still will say one thing about him. He certainly knew how to, uh, to keep people uh, on the edge of their seat as he hosted various public events. I was there when he signed a bill that would then supposedly put hydrogen stations all across California so that we would be able to drive hydrogen-powered vehicles, very clean source of energy. Arnold showed up driving a hydrogen-converted Hummer. I did get a chance to suggest when I was interviewing Terry Tamman and his environmental uh, counselor while filling in over an insight <laughs> that uh, when he got a chance to please suggest the governor that he might want to try driving a hydrogen-powered Civic next time. Since the actual range of the Hummer, supposedly futuristic hydrogen-powered Hummer, was 50 miles. And, you, you know, we do in this program try to make an effort to avoid popular trash culture. And I'm sorry to say we're reminded of that by this uh, little talk about Arnold Schwarzenegger. But doggone it, here's two items we just can't resist. According to TMZ.com, and I quote, Hulk Hogan's best friend, Bubba the Love Sponge, yes, that apparently is his name or nickname, Bubba the Love Sponge, not only secretly videotaped Hulk having sex, he bragged afterwards that the tape was a gold mine that could be the key to Bubba's retirement. Apparently, TMZ viewed the last few minutes of this leaked sex tape, during which time apparently Mr. Hogan is involved with Bubba's wife, Heather Clem. To note that uh, Bubba himself apparently was in on it and says on the vocals. After the action was complete, if we ever want to retire, all we'd have to do is use this footage. And yes, we're horrified. But unlike Howard Stern, who brought Bubba on to talk about it, we're just going to end it here. Adding that, well, we, we probably shouldn't have mentioned it at all. But it does allow us to drop down the ladder of trash American culture one more rung to arrive at Kim Kardashian. Now, apparently last month, Miss Kardashian saw her hopes of getting a star on the Hollywood Boulevard 
dashed. She had had ambitions to become the first reality TV star to be granted a star on the celebrated Hollywood Walk of Fame, but Hollywood's Chamber of Commerce had other ideas. A representative told The Hollywood Reporter, they have to have a career in, in the business of acting for five years or more. As for reality TV stars, not on our radar right now. Now, in her own defense, Kim Kardashian told The Guardian in the UK that uh, she is constantly asked what it is exactly that she does. But in her own defense, she said, what are you talking about? I have a hit TV show. We've shot more episodes than I Love Lucy. We've been on the air longer than The Andy Griffith Show. These are iconic shows, so it blows my mind when people say that. She insists, and I quote, I mean, acting and singing aren't the only ways to be talented. It's a skill to get people to really like you instead of a character who's been written for you by someone else. Or to put it another way, what's my talent? A bear can juggle and stand on a ball and he's talented, but he's not famous. Do you know what I mean? Well, actually, no, we don't. And we do just want to add in brief defense of Kim Kardashian that we have seen some of those videos out there on the internet. And to say that she's devoid of talent, well, that would be wrong. And we're running out of time on this segment, so we're going to have to put off our discussion on ADA lawyers into our third and final segment. But um, with all this talk about how tuition is going up, up, and up at California public colleges and universities, we, we just have to ask, what is going on with the fact that UCLA has offered a $54,000 a year football scholarship to the son of Sean Puff Daddy, or P. Diddy, whatever his name is, Combs. But in fact, the kid in question, Justin Combs, has gotten that scholarship. Now, writing in uh, the LAWeekly.com, Dennis Romero questioned this, uh, saying that, uh, well, most people think that an 18-year-old whose dad is worth about $550 million and who gave the boy a $360,000 sports car for his 16th birthday maybe shouldn't get a free ride to a school where student tuition and fees have nearly tripled in the last 10 years. Have to admit, doesn't sound reasonable to us, but if it sounds reasonable to you, again, drop us a line at info at radioparallax.com and we'll talk about it. All right, we got some serious stuff to talk about in our third and final segment, and we will do that after a short break. I'm Douglas Everett. This is Radio Parallax. Do not go away. Radio Parallax. 